0: The following program is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Lead Tennessee Radio, conversations with the leaders moving our state forward. We look at the issues shaping Tennessee's future, rural development, public policy, broadband, health care, and other topics impacting our communities. And now, here's your host of
1: Lead Tennessee
0: Radio, Lavoie Knowles
1: today on lead Tennessee radio on our podcast we're privileged to have as our guest speaker today uh, chip span he is the vice president of engineering and technical services uh, for connected nation and for some of those that those who don't may not know uh, connected nation is um, working with the Tennessee Economic Community Development Department to uh, rework our map in Tennessee but before we get into the mapping itself uh Chip, welcome to our program.
0: Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: And you might want to just start off by telling telling us a little bit about uh, the effort and the mission statement of Connected Nation. Certainly. Uh,
0: Connected Nation is a national 501c3 nonprofit organization, and our our mission statement since our inception has been to, to do everything we can to ensure that we are... Helping to fill the digital divide. Obviously, that's been a moving target when, you know, when I started at this some 16 or 17 years ago. I think broadband was defined as anything greater than 200 kilobits per second in one direction. So, obviously, as the federal definition has changed, so has the digital divide. Uh, We work with states and and communities across the United States to try and, and put together granular maps. So that not only are we identifying where broadband is, more importantly, we're trying to find where broadband is not, and that's the, that's the focus of the program.
1: That's great. I know Connecticut Nation has been around for a while, and you said you've been there uh, over 10 years. Um, uh, didn't you really previously have an effort in Tennessee that you were doing some work here before this project came about?
0: We did, in fact, Tennessee was one of the one of the earliest and first states that we began doing mapping in. Uh, we started in Kentucky. Uh, that program expanded because of the success of what we're doing in Kentucky. It expanded into a couple of the other Appalachian states, and that included Tennessee, Ohio, and West Virginia. Uh, and then during the the federally funded state broadband initiative from 2009 to 2014. Which was funded under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. We have the pleasure of helping to produce a, a state broadband map for Tennessee for a, for a five year period of time.
1: Well, that's great. I know that um, uh, I had worked with, with your group in my previous role, and you've been, always been very good to work with and very cooperative. And And I think at actually, at one point in time, you had someone um, that went around from county to county helping each county uh, become more attuned to what broadband was and what it's all about, as I recall.
0: That's correct. We we, bet we had a couple of people. I think when we started out, it was a young man named Michael Ramage that was working in the state for us. And then I think uh, eventually he was, uh, it became Corey John's. Who was the last person that we had working there, as I recall, as our state director? And yes, we did. We traveled around from county to county or community to community, conducting what we called uh, connected engagements. And this was an opportunity to hear from stakeholders in the community about their feelings towards broadband, whether or not they had it, why they thought it was important, or you know, helping to to, to perhaps clarify some misconceptions about broadband. But more importantly, also trying to educate and inform about how broadband impacts other things like telehealth and telemedicine, distance learning, and things of that caliber. So I think over time, people began to understand that broadband was becoming an important part of their life, uh, much to the degree that when you look for a home, you want to know that it has water, electric, and sewer. In today's society, broadband is probably the fourth item you you have on your checklist
1: Absolutely. I know that um um i, I used to be active in uh, one of the county's um economic development boards, and that was one of the uh items that was added to the list for any potential business moving into- co- to a community is what speeds of broadband they would um uh, uh be able to get and you had to answer a detailed uh, listing of what your services were and what speeds they could get, if they could get uh, more than one carrier, and lots of lots of things that were asked before a, a company would um, even look at moving into your area. So from the company standpoint, um, business standpoint, commercial, it was uh, looked at maybe a few years ago, but now you're right. Every, anyone moving into a new home or a new area always ask about broadband. In your work effort with Tennessee, let's get down into maybe a little more specific. Uh what's your objective uh in your uh, your project in Tennessee at this time?
0: That's a fantastic question. The folks at, at ECD have done a a wonderful job over the past several years of administering their broadband grant program, but they've they've kind of been disadvantaged because they have been using the federal form 477 map Now, for many people listening to the podcast, they probably realize that uh, the way broadband providers submit data to the federal government twice a year is, is via Form 477. And unfortunately, that's done at the census block level, which simply means that if there's a single household within a census block that has service, the federal government interprets that to mean everybody else in the census block must have the equivalent level of service. So the MAP that's been produced by the federal government for years is subject to overstatement. Census blocks can come in all shapes and sizes, but when you start to get out into the remote areas, especially in Tennessee, they can be sizable. And so that one household that has service may have resulted in 25, 30, 40 houses being overestimated in the census block that don't have it. And because of that very issue, neither federal nor state grants uh, were awarded because the federal government already thought that the that the folks in those areas had service. So I think what uh, Crystal Ivey and the others at ECD came to realize is they, they needed to have a map that was much more robust, much more detailed. So that as they were beginning to analyze and review these pockets of homes in Tennessee that may still not have access to broadband they would be putting their award dollars in the best possible locations. So the whole purpose is to to make the map better so that companies out there can continue to expand broadband uh, as they have been doing in the past years. And I I have to admit, the state of Tennessee has been fantastic in in the way that they've gone through the grant program, accepted the money, and and put together uh, broadband expansion opportunities. I live in Kentucky, and I'm absolutely jealous every time I drive to Tennessee and go out through these rural areas as as part of the grant initiative and see that there's fiber to the home in locations that may only have three or four homes per square mile. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing GPON networks and active optical networks. We've seen the hybrid fiber expansion and fixed wireless. The, the the folks in Tennessee are doing a great job, but now it's it's becoming mission critical to understand where the remaining pockets of households are.
1: That's that's really a good point. I I, I think that everyone um, providers ECD and and even any consumer would agree that you want to put the money from the state or any federal funds to the to the highest level of work that you can and make sure that you're getting your, your bang for your big, biggest bang for your buck for what you're spending, and uh, you can't do that with maps that are obsolete or not accurate or not granular, granular enough to uh, really show the correct statement. And it takes time to go through these challenges with ECD and others to make sure if a census block shows, like you said, one household covered and 25 or 30 that are not, uh, it's a very detailed, challenging effort on the provider and ECD to to see which is which is correct yeah
0: now as part of the mission here it's ECD and Connected Nations objective to try and have the initial map released before the end of the year in fact I think December 15th is the target date that we're shooting for what will happen upon the release of that initial map is that the map will be open for public consumption and and for review by constituents across the state of Tennessee so whether you're a broadband provider or or homeowner decision maker local politician etc everyone will have the ability to look at that map and contribute to it to say hey I live in this subdivision and you have information that says provider x offers service here but they don't so I, I, I want to write in at least tell you that my address is not covered. What will happen through, through the next two or three months after that initial map is released is that all of that consumer feedback and input is going to go into refining that map. And that's how it continues to go from being granular to start out with being very granular by the time we, we get done with it. Everybody that, that adds a contribution that says, my home should not be included in this service territory. That just makes it better and better and better so that by the time that final product comes out the door, hopefully in anticipation for another round of ECD grants, it's going to be one of the best maps the state of Tennessee has
1: ever seen. Well, that's very exciting because that has been a major problem, not just in Tennessee, but nationwide as well. But, um, of course, we're more familiar with Tennessee, and and it is um, it is an issue. You, you're using the the uh, federal um uh, reports and the maps that they're using at, on the federal level, and the reporting is only once or two or three times a year, and, and by the time it's uh, massaged and distributed, uh, it's 12 to 18 months behind, actually, in the, uh, even it's in its uh, best stage.
0: That, that, that's correct. I think if you were to go to the federal broadband map today and look at, at the information it's premised off of June 2020 data submissions so as you said it's you know it's already a year old it's tough to it's tough to make an award when you're trying to do so with data that's that's been outdated for a year
1: that's right and in Tennessee of course our providers our rural providers that are members of the TNBA have been very active in expanding their networks and providing broadband and using every nickel they can find um to expand it, and from our perspective uh, our members are 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 uh, investing between one hundred and fifty and two hundred million dollars a year of their own money, just only uh, on our small providers so uh, in eighteen months' time, that map can change drastically yes it, it can and and as so long as we're continuing to have these sort
0: of dynamic contributions from the provider community. I think we're going to stay ahead of the curve. The map certainly is going to be a snapshot in time when it's when it's produced and released, but it's going to be far more efficient, far more effective than relying on the federal government's map. And one of the things that it that helps with that objection process or or that review process, you know, the providers in each community know that know their competitors, know the environment better than anybody. I mean, it's not uncommon. You know this having served as a general manager for a telecom company yourself in the past. It's not uncommon for the engineers or or the GMs to drive through the service territory and make notes to say, here's where the incumbent local exchange carrier service ends. And, and they're no longer offering DSL, and here's where we think the last fixed wireless customer is at. And, and these providers start to begin to carve out these pockets they perceive as being opportunities. Uh, and the nice thing about that is now – those areas that the providers are trying to determine on their own that may be eligible can kind of be mashed against or compared against this map to ensure that ECD also agrees that they're eligible. That expedites the process so much, and and it mitigates the amount of field validation work that ECD has to contract for to go out prior to awarding a grant.
1: Great. That's fantastic information. I appreciate you you, uh, adding that uh, to our discussion. Uh, now, from a provider' standpoint, um, you've contact we've we've had a, a meeting with most of the providers in Tennessee, uh, at least our members, you're having other meetings as as well. What format do you accept this data in? Is it going to be a, a big work effort to uh, obtain this data to send to you? Is it going to be different from the what's been sent to the FCC or or just just what format do you accept information in?
0: Well, that's another good question. Um, it, it's, it shouldn't be a, a big lift at all. In fact, we, we're confident that most of the providers that we're going to be dealing with already have a GIS shape file or a, a, a Google Earth KMZ of their coverage area that they've created. If they're uh, an ILEC, they may simply give us their exchange boundary area with information about the services inside of it. Uh, For fixed wireless providers, we're going to ask that they provide us with uh, a a propagation study in either a KMZ or a shapefile format. And for providers that simply don't have any other information, they don't have an AutoCAD system, they've never run propagation studies, and and literally have been, uh, you know, doing things the old-fashioned way, they can send us information via a CSV file, much like they do with their Form 477 data, and we can help translate that into a service polygon or coverage polygon, which we then provide back to them for review before it is included on the map. That way the provider has the opportunity to look at it and say, yep, that's my service territory. And then and, and the point about that, Lavoy, is interesting because Uh, We have learned over the years that oftentimes that the providers who are submitting their data to the FCC have never actually visualized what that data looks like when it comes out the other end. You know, it's difficult sometimes to go to the FCC's map and try and isolate your service territory. So as part of this interactive process that we're engaging the providers in, they have the opportunity to tell us where the territory is. We interpret it, we create the shape, we send it back to them for review, and that gives the opportunity for them to edit or, or give us the final thumbs up.
1: Well, that's that's really a good point that, you, that you're making. It sounds like that uh, it's not going to be a big lift because all providers have maps of some sort, and you're willing to take it basically any way they've got it. And not it's not going to be a, a new work effort to come back and recreate the wheel, so to speak, but you can take it any way they've got it, and you'll incorporate that into your into your map.
0: Absolutely, I, I like to tell the story. I've got a friend up in Ohio that runs a cable system, and each uh, class a year, he literally would take that plat map that he had up on his wall, that was about an eight foot wide, six foot tall map, and he would draw with magic marker every place they had a plan extension. He would roll that map up in a poster tube and mail it to us. We'd lay it out on the floor and then digitize his changes and send those back to him for review. So, we'll take the information just about any way we can get it from the provider.
1: That's fantastic, Chip. I, I know that uh, early on that some of the providers were concerned, but uh, it sounds like you're 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 solving that problem on the front end. That it's it's not going to be a, a huge effort. They can just send you what they've got, and I know shape files are what lots of providers are preferring, and it sounds like you, you'll take that or anything else. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: we, we, we've we even worked with providers in the past who have said, you know, if I, if, if I could describe it to you, could you draw it? And so we have gone on and had webinars with them, a Zoom webinar or an Uber conference, where we did screen sharing on Google Earth. And, uh, you know, somebody might say, starting at the intersection of Highway 29 and Highway 64, let's move two miles to the you know, to the east, and so we're literally on the screen trying to draw it as they're describing what their territory might look like.
1: Wow, that's that's unbelievable. Um, I know that um, I saw on an email exchange uh, once. There's maybe two or three or four of you working on the Tennessee project. Uh, would you want to uh, give our listeners uh, maybe the names and emails from your from yourself and those other folks?
0: Certainly. Uh, so I'll be trying to work with the providers primarily to help facilitate the non disclosure agreements. Uh, my telephone number is 606 748 3343, and my email address is cspan at connectednation.org. Uh, the other pro- the folks that we have on staff, excuse me, that are working on the project. Include Mark Messer, Ryan Martin, and Danielle Lahaki. Uh, their contact information is uh, Mark Messer can be reached at 606 336 1994. Danielle Lahaki can be reached at 636 300 And Ryan Martin can be reached at 606 706 Zero five five nine. The naming conventions for our emails is simple. It's the first initial, first name, followed by the entirety of the last name at connectednation.org.
1: Well, thank you, Chip, so much for that information. And anyone listening, I think that uh, would agree that um, this should be a, a, a great project. It's going to be fast in and fast out. It's you starting. Uh, at the end of July or mid July, and it's going to be over by December the 15th. And uh, I'm sure that everyone, including um, ECD, the providers, and the legislature, will be glad to get updated, more uh, modern maps that are that are really mean something um, to uh, to the state. So, um, is there anything else you want to add to that I may have missed as far as our interview today, Chip? I just wanted to remind
0: everybody that the deadline for the submission of data will be September 30th. Uh, we'll take the months of October, November to settle that data back and forth to the provider community to ensure that it's accurately represented uh, prior to us releasing the map in December. Uh, that doesn't sound like an awful lot of time. You know, we we, we tend to kind of come to work during the days and say, well, I'll take care of it tomorrow and then tomorrow creeps up on us. So uh, make sure that uh, if you're listening in and you're a participating provider, you mark the calendar for that September 30th deadline, and uh, sometime in the next few days, if you've not gotten an email or a telephone call from me or a member of my staff, please reach out to me directly and let me know, and I'll do everything I can to to, to help your organization and ensure that you get on that map.
1: Well, thank you again, Chip, for for being on our program today. You've been listening to Chip Spann, Vice President of Engineering and Technical Services of for connected nation uh they of which are doing the new map for the tennessee ecd uh program for broadband and we're just very pleased to have you on the program today chip thank you inviting me
0: lavoie i've, I've enjoyed my time with you today
1: you've been listening to lee tennessee radio produced by the tennessee broadband association cooperative and independent companies connecting our state's rural communities and beyond with world-class broadband thank you for listening